in case you in the balcony and all those of you who are worshiping uh, downstairs in the overflow room, uh, if you're wondering uh, how in the world are you going to do this, there are trays right in the back. If you're from the balcony, come down uh, from the stairs right there and you can just kind of do a circle and go right back up and it will be right there. If you prefer to come up for it, of course, you are very welcome to do that. And the same will be true for those of you uh, who are downstairs. Some of you have seen in the front of the, of the bulletin a crib as if it was Christmas. But I'm not going to talk about that. I am going to talk about making room for Jesus. You know, I'm looking at these melting juice cubes here, I guess we can call them that, Right? And I'm reminded of, uh, you know, an old preacher joke that this pastor always found one of these little lifesavers and, and put it in between his gum and cheek. And, and he knew pretty much when that was melted, there was time for him to round up. You know, it'll take about 25 minutes or so. And he knew when that was it, he better kind of round up. And so one day people were all confused. He just kept going and going and going. And he found out that he did read down the pocket and put one down, and it was an old button. <laughs> I guess I'll just have to preach till all this is melted, I guess, something like that. You know, we, I think most of us have tried to be on a trip, and we on a road trip, and we are, we're going, and we're going, and we're thinking, I could just make this Time, but we need to be back tomorrow. And if I can get just one more town over, and I, I looked and I know there are four or five hotels there, so, so I can just stop. It's now nine o'clock, and, and you know, I, it's, but I can make it. So you get there only to find out that that particular weekend when you were there, that particular day, something was going on. And some of you are smiling, so I know you have tried that. And every room is out. There's just not any place to find anywhere. Or you have done other things similar where you expected to just kind of find room and, and there would be space available and there was not. And you're all frustrated and it's late at night or you're going to sleep in the car, whatever. Yeah. Well, something similar to that may have been what was happening when Joseph and Mary was traveling to Bethlehem. The text runs like this, chapter 2, verse 7, simply saying this, she gave birth to her firstborn son. He was wrapped, she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. This, of course, is a historical event, but I think there's so much more really to be considered and not the least in this context where we are today standing before this dripping uh, crown of thorns right here. What does it mean there was no room for Jesus? And the Bible says even in other places, he came to his own, those who should have accepted him, and they did not. Receive him. There was no room. So the question is, do you have room, really, 
for Jesus. We know he has room for you. But let me consider this with you just for a moment. Because we tend to think, and I think most of us kind of just write this off. This, yeah, he was just not a good guy. He should have had room for Jesus, right? But think of it a little bit. We don't hear much about this innkeeper in Scripture. But this was a very busy time for him. Just consider this. The emperor had just told the whole world, for all they knew, to be counted. That means that is a gift to the travel industry, yes? Every hotel owner, every innkeeper, every anything is going, oh, yay, right? Airbnb was kind of invented right then and there, right? Any kind of little room that you could find on the roadside, that was it. You caught it, caught it I hope, with the Airbnb, yeah? Um, the point is simply here to recognize that this was a time when there were plenty of customers for the innkeeper. All kinds of customers coming by and it was about finding the ones that could pay the best, that could kind of fill the room and, and that particular end with the greatest prestige, if you will. And some would come with entourages, some would come in other ways. Who had time to look at some kind of peasant coming in with a pregnant little old wife. And so they didn't find any room. Now, let me just say in terms of historical context, some of you are thinking that Jesus, therefore they were giving birth to him out in the field because the next verse it says, and there were shepherds in the field. And so Jesus must also have been in the field. That's probably not so. It's probably more likely that that every, like every other inn had at that time, there was this back, back, back area for all the animals where they could be while the customers would go in and sleep. And so it was just a stinky, smelly, back area kind of uh, where that was. And so they had to go out there. They could find some kind of shelter back there. But there were no room for them in the end. Maybe he just simply was just not paying attention. We don't know exactly what was happening to him, but it is pretty common, even today, is it not, that we can get so busy kind of seizing the moment or getting a hold of the opportunity that everything that, that really matters kind of gets second place. I think of that sometimes. When you think about, well, talk to young people, and they would say, Mom and Dad were so busy doing their stuff so they could buy me all the stuff I don't need that they didn't have any, any time to give me, which is what I really needed. Or if you think about the things that you wanted to do that really mattered as you set out, even as a young person said, I want my life to make a difference. I want there to be significance and depth in my life. I want to find the time I can to reflect on the deeper things and share that with others. And suddenly the mundane takes over and, and the things that don't matter that we are never going to be held accountable for suddenly feels everything and we have no room 
for the things that we one day will be held accountable for. You can go on and on. What about this friend that, that needed to hear this testimony that we have and we know he needs it, but it's just so hard to find room in our schedules to do this or our own journey with the Lord. How do we find room for that? Busyness gets the better of so many of us. But notice here when Jesus says, even in Revelation, he's standing at the door in chapter 3 and knocking at the door to the church later to see and said, behold, I stand in the door knocking. Anyone who hears my voice will open the door and I'll come in and I will supper with him. It doesn't say and I will have a fast snack with him. It doesn't say I will grab a quick burger with him. It doesn't even say I will have lunch with him. It, will, it says I will sup with him, which is that meal which in the ancient Mediterranean world for that matter today as well, takes the whole evening. It just is a lasting, lasting, lasting meal. The story is told about a man who, uh, who was not treating his wife very well. It was not that he was beating him. He was just not paying attention and always it was about him. And, and so when she died, they found her diary. And he read page on page on the pain and the sorrow that she was expressing day by day for his mistreatment of her in so many ways. And he was just, as he was reading, uttering through his lips, if I had only known, if I had only known. Well, if the innkeeper had only known that it was the son of God who was going to be born. You know, when we get too busy with the things that don't matter, we never know who we'll get to not have time for. Are you making room for Jesus? Another quick little point here is that sometimes we misprioritize. We just don't realize what happens. You know, the, the innkeeper, in all fairness, most likely, the, the inn was packed. There was no room for them in the inn. So he would have had to kind of move things around and maybe get rid of some things to make room for this young pregnant woman. And even that, if you start thinking about that, is that not also what we kind of know from our days? That when Jesus comes into our lives, there are other things that must go. There's just not room for both. You know, most people are not really irreligious. They're not anti-Christians. They're not totally opposed to any kind of, of spirituality. It's just, how do we find room? There are so many other things that, that have priority in our lives that we got to do this first. 
And before you know it, there's no room for the Lord. It's hard to find room to find 30 minutes to read the scriptures because there's this show that I must see on the TV. But you don't have to see anymore. Let me tell you how they all go. And it does not matter if you're watching an old show back from the old days with the Brady Bunch or you're watching a new NCISI, right? It doesn't matter. It's all the same. I think it's reasonably good. Then something will occur. Something happens. There are bad people out there. And those who are the heroes in the thing, they take care of the bad people. And then things are okay for a little while, right? Until the next episode and the whole thing gets over again. Yes, that's what it is. You don't ever have to see another one. You now know what it is. All the time you now have. You know, one of the troubles we sometimes have with prioritizing is that egotism, selfishness gets the better of us. You know that, that innkeeper, he knew what was just common sense and good business practice. This was a busy time in his life. Where would he again ever, or when would he again ever get a gift like this from the emperor? So he prioritized according to personal benefit. You know, there was, a, there was this farmer who had heard of this new species of grain, this amazing kind of grain that would carry way bigger fold than normal. It would be an amazing kind of thing that's going on. And so he planted it, and sure enough, he had fold like no one has ever seen it before. And so he invited all his neighbors over to show them, and they were so intrigued. They all wanted to buy some of that grain that they could plant it too, and he said, no, I enjoy my advantage. I'm not going to sell you any of that. And so the next year, the fold was a little bit less. And then the third year, it was almost like it used to be before he found this. And, and so he sent it off to have it tested to see what happened. And what the, the report came back said, well, what had happened is because all the fields right around your fields were normal corn, they had pollinated your grain. So now... It's pretty much the same as the others because he was not willing to share and prioritize what really matters. You hear me. Selfishness never expands people, never enlarges their vision. In fact, when you meet really selfish people, they become very shrunken in their views and in their life. So what sets the priority? How do we find room, really, for Jesus? Prioritize him. You got to do it, friends. As we are reminded, we stand around here, he has prioritized us. He didn't have to. You know that. He did not consider equality with God anything to be grasped. That means nothing that was out of the ordinary. That was his. But he gave it up for your sake. For your sake to make sure there would be room 
for you. You know, some people are trying to just push Jesus out because it's not all that important. In the end, it's just religious stuff. It's just morality stuff. It's just, you know, the Bible is a good book to read because it gives us good values. But in the end, it is not that important. And so people, someone's not trying to push it out. Say it, it just will have to have second level importance. It can't be prioritized first level importance. Well, if you think it's something that can be pushed away, please recognize this. If you stood at the Colosseum in Rome and seen early Christians be thrown in front of lions that were ripping them to pieces, that seen them being tore, put up on a pole and dipped in oil and, and lit as living torches in the streets of Rome, if you've seen all this, one tenth of thousands were cheering on you would have said there would be no way, no way that these small, peasant, confessing Jesus people would ever, ever come to make a difference. Well, now if you go to Rome, friends, you see Colosseum in ruins, the history of the old days, and the Christian gospel Jesus Christ is just doing very fine. Thank you very much. Do you have room for Jesus? You read of these horrible, even now, the kind of horrendous things, the torture of Christians around the world. That even make the executioners of hell tremble, it seems so bad. Friends, if the gospel of Jesus Christ could have been stopped, it would have been stopped a long time ago. If you think this stuff about Jesus is secondarily important, you're making a mistake. He will find. Way. There will always be people that will make room for Jesus. And that's where he will come in. So I have to ask you, as we stand right in front of here, and now I'm seeing this dripping pretty, pretty much, almost running now, from the crown of thorns. Are you going to make room for Jesus? Are you going to do what you can also to let other people know that they need to make room for Jesus? There will always be people, you know, like the shepherds, who will praise God and have their lives filled with his peace and his presence. People that would praise God for all he has done with everything they have. Are you finding room for Jesus? If you could see from there and you see all these things drip, you know he has room for you. If you have not found that room for him in your heart yet or in your lives, don't just make it a heart conviction thing. Make it a life-changing thing, friends. This is the time, even as you come forward, to participate. Bow your knees before him and say, Jesus, I 
will make room for you. Paul is recounting what Jesus had taught him. And we're getting ready now for the Lord's Supper to participate in this. And again, if, if you prefer to take a cup the normal way, and if you don't see that it hasn't dripped long enough, then go ahead and, and just take a cup and a bread. But this will be powerful. Let it just not be a moment. Say, well, I've done this a hundred times before. Let it be a moment where you connect with the Lord in the strongest way. Paul says it like this in chapter 11. He said, I received from the Lord what I also passed unto you. In other words, this is of first importance. This matters as much as anything. This is the center core of the gospel that he gave his life for you. He died for your sake and he broke that power of death that you may see life, even life eternal. This is a meal we do in remembrance of me, as Jesus says. Can I remind you that memory is not just once upon a time. I remember that. That was kind of cool. Real memory is about identity. I remember that. You know, the old Jews have set it up so that every time around the Passover table, they were to do this. Very clear descriptions on how to do this. And what they were doing was they said, and then during the meal, someone, one of the kids, should ask the dad, why are we doing this? And the dad would say, let me tell you a story. We were once in slavery. But God heard our cry, remembered his covenant, and he opened the gates, and we could go through and enter his promised land. That creates identity, friends, yes? It's who you are, his child. You don't have to be confused about who you are. You know you are a child of God. So don't hear these words in some much superficial way. When it says, do this in remembrance of me, that's another way of saying, don't forget. This is your story, not just a story, but your story. And Paul continues then to explain it. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until... He comes. This is a testimony, friends, of what God has done. And that's going to go on until we see him and when he comes back. This is not something to just be taken light. But it is something to rejoice in, right? 
And so let's do that. I'm going to ask you to stand, and then I'm going to say a prayer, and I'm going to ask everyone to go out on their right side and come back up here. Deacons are going to come up and stand and be of help here. If you don't find something you, you want to eat from that wreath or from the bottom here, that bread, then just take a cup here, and one of the deacons will do this. And the same is true from the balcony. You come down. And the Lord's Supper will be right, right inside the church as you come down and then come back up the staircase. And downstairs below also, you'll see what becomes natural even down there. Father, would you hear us as we come as your people? As we come rejoicing, walking up to the table that the God Almighty, through his Son, Jesus Christ, has prepared for us. Father, as we partake, as we take that bread which is a symbol of your life being broken for us. As we, as we taste that juice of the wine, and we know that this is reminding us of the blood that you shared for us. Will you fill us, Father, with presence? And with new and regenerated desire to make room for Jesus in our lives. We ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen and amen.